Good morning. We'll be reading Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole arm of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all the prayer and supplication. To, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you saw in the announcements, um, I sent out an announcement that Buzz Kell, uh, who is the founding pastor of Christ Prez, he passed away um, this past week. And um, Buzz, uh, when he was here, would preach in combat boots. And I don't, I don't own combat boots, but th this is the closest thing I have. Uh, I've got a pair of work boots on. You could kick me in, you could step on my toes, and I wouldn't feel it. Uh, I, don't, I never actually do any kind of manual labor, but I'll, in, honor of, in honor of Buzz, I'm going to um, wear these today. You know, Buzz knew that the Christian life is a fight. And um, by the way, in case I forget to mention it later, because I don't, we didn't get this announcement in the bulletin, but his service will be this Friday, 2 p.m. at St. Giles. And um, even if you didn't know Buzz, I would encourage you, if you're able at that time, um, to make it to the service just to uh, honor him and his family. And, um, you know, we, we have him to thank in a lot of ways for uh, what we're doing right now. Um, this this family exists because Buzz had a vision to start a new church. And so if you can make it uh, to St. Giles at 2 on Friday, that would be a gift. Um, Buzz, Buzz knew what the Apostle Paul tells us in this passage, that uh, we can expect the Christian life to be a fight, and not just like in episodes now and then, here and there, but um, he says, finally, and that word is really a word that means like from now on for the remaining time. Uh, until Jesus returns, in other words, we can expect a battle. Um, it, it's not an episode of the Christian life. It's like the context for the whole thing. It's a fight. It's a battle. Paul says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, and, and what that means, family, is that evil is just way more complicated than our Western culture usually assumes, right? I mean, Westerners tend to assume that all of our problems are essentially material, that they all boil down in one way or another to flesh and blood. You know, they're physical or 
social or emotional or psychological. And, and that's true enough as far as it goes. I mean, our problems are often physical and social and psychological and emotional. And so as people who follow Jesus, like we, we care about um, education and we care about mental and emotional health and we care about communities flourishing. Um, the worldview of the Bible includes all of that. But what Paul is showing us is that in addition to all of those ways, um, things can go wrong with the world and things can go wrong with humans, um, there's also this spiritual evil. Uh, which can intertwine and interact with all of those other problems in pretty complicated ways. And, and so Paul is saying that our primary conflict is never simply at the level of flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle, and it's waged against forces of evil. Now, last week we talked about the fight generally. This morning, let's talk about the foe. You know, if you're, if you're ever going into battle, it's good to know who you're up against. It's It's important to have some knowledge of your enemy. And Paul identifies the foe here as the devil. Now, you probably didn't want to begin 2024 thinking about the devil. But here we are. In the opening of his book, The Screwtape Letters, which you've probably read this. Have you, have you not read it? You've read it. Some of you, some of you should feel a little bit of shame. Not too much. Just, just the right amount. It's a good book. C.S. Lewis writes, there are two equal and opposite errors that people can make about the devil. One is to disbelieve in his existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in him. In other words, some people tend to ignore the devil entirely. If they think of the devil at all, they have kind of a cartoonish view of who he is, you know, a little red guy with pitchfork and horns. They say, isn't the devil just a metaphor for human evil? And, and the Bible says, well, no, like there really is spiritual evil at work in the world to destroy all that God wants to heal and rescue. Other people, though, believe uh, in the devil too much. And, and for them, uh, the world looks less and less like the world of Scripture and more and more like kind of a modern horror movie. Um, they're always worrying about the devil having mysterious influence over them. They get really superstitious about it. Their interest in the devil becomes excessive. And, and what C.S. Lewis says is that the devil is just as pleased by either one of those mistakes. He, um, he says, the devil regards materialists and magicians with the same delight. Now, probably all of us tend to lean one way or another. And if you think you've struck the perfect balance, maybe the devil is messing with your pride. <laughs> Let's turn to our passage. What does Paul tell us here about our foe? What does he tell us about the foe? First... He tells us that the devil is really powerful. Verse 12 is filled with language that brings to mind power. Let's just, let me read it again. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, turns out there's no real consensus about exactly what these different terms refer to. Um, it looks like some refer to evil spirits, and so this might have been, um, these might be like, in, in the ancient worldview, ranks of demons. It's coming from kind of Jewish apocalyptic theology and writing, but could be ranks of demons. It also looks like Paul might have in mind systems of the world, um, institutions, traditions, ideologies that are co-opted by evil, so that they operate at times unwittingly according to the devil's agenda. 
Um, you know, in Colossians 1, we're told that all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, so a lot of the exact same terms that Paul uses here, um, were created through Jesus and for Jesus, but now it's like they've gone wrong. Uh, I like what John Stott says. He writes this. He says that social, political, judicial, and economic structures can become demonic is evident to anyone who has considered the state, which in Romans 13 is the minister of God, and in Revelation 13 has become an ally of the devil. Similarly, Stott writes, the moral law which God gave for human good led to human bondage and was exploited by the elemental spirits of the universe. He says, every good gift of God can be perverted to evil use. See, that's got to be right. Like, Paul is talking about spiritual demonic evil, but he's also talking about these, these structures and systems of the world that are co-opted by the devil for great harm in ways that lead to all kinds of idolatry and injustice. And so the devil is happy to leverage the like all of his powers against God's good plan for human flourishing. In any case, um, nothing of what we read in verse 12 leaves the impression that our enemy is weak and wimpy. Uh, this becomes even more clear when you look at some of the other descriptions of the devil in scripture. Sometimes he's likened to a lion or a dragon, notably not a mouse or a goldfinch. I mean, he's called the ruler of demons and the ruler of this world, not the lackey. He's even called the god of this age. And these are all different ways of describing the same dark reality. The devil is pretty dang powerful. It's powerful. But power in and of itself is kind of neutral, right? Um, I mean, it can be, you can use power for good or evil. Water, uh, the power of water can be used for great harm or great good. Power of fire can be used for great harm or great good. But in verse 12, Paul doesn't tell us that we're up against the care bears. He tells us that we're up against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so the second thing we need to know about the devil is that he's evil. And you know that. You know that. I mean, uh, even if you don't believe in the devil, you know that if he were to exist, he'd be evil. The devil isn't just strong. He's sinister. His power isn't benign. It's bad and not in the Michael Jackson kind of way. C.S. Lewis shares this insight. He says, the better stuff a creature is made of, the cleverer and stronger and freer it is, then the better it will be if it goes right, but also the worse it will be if it goes wrong. He says, a cow cannot be very good or very bad. I'll take his word for it. <laughs> a dog can be both better and worse. A child better or worse still. An ordinary man still more so. A man of genius still more so. A superhuman spirit best or worst of all. See, the devil, he's just really bad. He's malevolent. Um, he has no code of honor, no moral principles. He hits below the belt. He'll stab you in the back. He'll kick you when you're down. He's mastered the art of the sucker punch. I mean, this dude is bad. He's evil. So he's powerful. That's not good. He's, he's evil. That's not good. I wish I could tell you third that he's pretty dumb so we don't have much to worry about that we've got a powerful evil foe who we can easily outthink and outmaneuver. But unfortunately, the third thing we see here is that the devil is cunning. 
Um, he's methodical. He wages his war against us with intelligence. The old King James Version says uh, he's wily. He's wily. You know, he's like, he's like the coyote, except, except even more wily than the coyote. Um, in verse 11, Paul says that the devil has schemed. He has schemed. And so he doesn't exercise his, his evil power in some kind of generic way. He's not like a really bad version of the force in Star Wars that is just kind of out there at work. No, like he, uh, the devil brings his power against us strategically, thoughtfully. He's not impulsive or capricious. Like he is intentional and he's deliberate in the way he wages war. He has methods and he has goals. And he's willing to take his time and set his traps and in really insidious ways work to see his plan come to fruition. So next week, I think we're going to look more at uh, some of his methods. But I just want to mention what I think is his main strategy now. Uh, it's deception. It's deception. The main way the devil tries to mess with us and mess with the world is by lying. Like, I don't think that's the only thing the devil does, but I think that's like the main thing the devil does. In John 8, Jesus tells us that the devil has nothing to do with truth because there is not truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we see that deception going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, right? Uh, when the snake appears in the garden with Adam and Eve, and his attack is subtle, but it's all built around deception. You remember that? Like he is an expert at injecting into your heart dis, uh, distorted perceptions about God and about yourself and about other people, about the world. The devil's a liar, and his, li his lies are powerful, and his lies are evil. And so there you have it, family. Uh, we're up against a foe who is powerful, He's evil. He's smart. Happy New Year. Should we close in prayer? <laughs> Not yet. Before you abandon all hope. There's one more thing to see about our enemy. He's powerful. He's evil. He's cunning. All of that's true. He's also defeated. He's defeated. Uh, he's an enemy who has already been beaten. You know, John tells us um, that the point of Christmas is the defeat of the devil. Do you know that? Do you remember that? Here's how he puts it. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, that's so interesting that at least one of the reasons for the incarnation uh, is spiritual warfare. Jesus didn't come to make a dent in the works of the devil. He didn't come to defend against them. He came to utterly destroy them. Uh, this is central to his mission. It's central to his saving work. He destroys the work of the devil. And you can see this start to unfold when you read through the Gospels. One of the things we see Jesus doing over and over again is freeing people from demonic oppression. You could say that Jesus is doing spiritual warfare, uh, but it's really interesting that these encounters between Jesus and demons, they never really look like a struggle or a battle what we get is statements like this. Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Or Jesus went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. See, it doesn't sound like a struggle. Uh, it was just kind of part of the warp and woof of 
Jesus' ministry right alongside bringing physical healing and teaching. So here's someone who can't walk, I'll heal him. Uh, here's someone who's oppressed by a demon, I'll set her free. There's one place where we might expect more of a struggle. Um, you, you remember it? it's that time where Jesus faces not just, he, he faces a man who's oppressed not just by one demon, but by a whole legion of demons, a whole army of demons. Um, here's what we read. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Now that sounds pretty bad. I mean, that sounds like, oh, there's a fight brewing. We might expect, expect some kind of like uh, really challenging confrontation. Uh, finally, we're going to see Jesus put to the test. But do you remember what happens? I mean, Jesus just walks right up to this guy, and he tells the legion of demons to come out, and the legion comes out. And that's that. Well, there's the pigs. But then that's that. Uh, there's no contest. There's no contest. It's just as easy for Jesus to handle an entire army of demons as it is for him to handle one. Uh, he tells the demons to come out. He sets the man free. He restores the man to his community. Now you might think, okay, but that's because maybe these are just little demons, not the head, <clears throat> not the head honcho. Maybe the devil himself, the ruler of demons, is more of a match for Jesus. Well, maybe, maybe. And we do see Jesus do spiritual battle with the devil in the Gospels. Do you remember that? It's right at the beginning of his public ministry, right after his baptism. At, at his baptism, the Father affirms Jesus in his love, says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And then right after that, the Spirit it's, in, it's interesting the language Mark uses. Um, Mark says the spirit cast Jesus. It's the same word that would be used for Jesus casting out a demon. It says the spirit cast Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert where he's tempted by the devil. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days, and it's a long battle. And you get the sense that the devil is just relentless. I mean, he comes at Jesus again and again. And, and he's just not letting up. And, and how does he come at Jesus? How does he approach Jesus? Deceptively, right? With the lie, with the lie. He's quoting scripture, but he's twisting it to, t to challenge Jesus' identity as the beloved son of God. Saying, like, does Jesus really love you? I mean, sorry, does God really love you? He's saying this to Jesus. Will God really provide for you? Uh, is God really worthy of your worship? Um, shouldn't you make God prove it if he is worthy of your worship? Shouldn't you make him prove it? Um, and, and remember, family, the, the devil has been doing this ever since, the ever since the beginning. I mean, he did it with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's done it with every human being since then, including you and including me. And sooner or later, he always succeeds. He comes with the lie, and at one point or another, we believe it. You've believed it. I've believed it. Just like our first parents did. And so when the devil enters this confrontation with Jesus, uh, he's coming off a very, very long winning streak. He got Adam and Eve to fall when they were in paradise, when they had everything they needed. And here's Jesus. He's not in a garden. He's in a desert. He's hungry. He's tired 
devil comes in with a lie, and what does Jesus do? He stands. He stands against it. He counters it with God's truth. Again and again, the devil attacks Jesus with the lie, and each time Jesus stands. And, and this was a new thing for the devil. You see that? I mean, here's a human being who refused to believe the lie. A human being who, for the first time in the history of the world, stood against the devil without faltering. He was tempted in every way, just like we are, but he never sinned. You know, casting out a legion of demons is no big deal for Jesus. But standing against the lie seems like it's a bigger deal. At the end of this battle, we're told that Jesus was being ministered to by angels. I mean, it looks like Jesus is worn out, that he really has been doing spiritual warfare. It looks like this took everything he had, but he was victorious. I mean, in the face of all the devil's attacks, Jesus stood in his identity as God's beloved son. The devil's aim was to break Jesus' perfect trust in the Father's love and care, but Jesus' trust was unbreakable. He stood and he withstood. And that's what Jesus does when the devil attacks. He stands and he withstands. Like, he does exactly what Paul tells us to do in our passage. And, and what we need to see is that he's doing it for us. He's doing it for you and for me. Um, he is standing and he is withstanding for all the times that you have failed to stand. He is fighting your battle for you and he's winning it. He's winning it. Um, our enemy is powerful and evil and cunning, but he's defeated. <laughs> uh, he was beaten by a first century Jewish man who also happened to be the son of God. And so, family, listen. The Father wants you to know his love. The Father wants you to know his love. As we begin this new year, 2024, the Father wants you to know that he sees you, he knows you, and he loves you. Um, he wants you to be as secure in his love as Jesus is. That's really secure. And the devil, at the beginning of 2024, is set on doing everything he can to mess with that, to mess it up. The devil can't do anything to change the Father's love for you. Um, we sang about that. That's what Paul says in Romans 8. But the devil can do all kinds of stuff to mess with your knowing the Father's love and your trusting the Father's love and your experiencing it. You're living out of it. You're living on the basis of it. The devil will come at you with a lie, you can't trust God's love and care. If you did once, you can be sure that, or if he, if he loved you once, you can be sure he doesn't now, given your sin and your failure. The devil will say things like, get God to prove that he loves you. And when he does, remember that God has proved his love for you. He has done it. And it wasn't the great breakfast you had this morning. I mean, that's a little sign of God's love. If you had a great breakfast, I don't know what you ate. I'm not spying on you. Um, it's not because today's sunny and yesterday was dreary. Um, it's because a couple of thousand years ago or so, um, God sent his son. And Jesus lived for us and he died for us. And, and we see that at 
as he starts his ministry, it's, it starts with spiritual warfare with the devil in the desert. But when we look to the end of his, of his ministry, earthly ministry on, um, on the cross, we see that Jesus is doing spiritual warfare there too. Paul tells us in Colossians that God has forgiven us all our sin by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Which is an amazing thing for Paul to say. Uh, a lot of times when we think about being forgiven, we think that there are hoops that we have to jump through in order to get God's forgiveness. And Paul just says it happened. It happened 2,000 years. It was actually the, the defeat of evil. Uh, it was a decisive defeat. And now, having been raised from the dead, Jesus, Paul tells us, is seated in the heavenly places far above all rulers and authorities and power and dominion. Um, the devil... He's powerful. Uh, he's evil. He's smart. And as Luther says, he's still God's devil. You know, like he's still under the feet of Jesus Christ. And what's really crazy to think about, and I don't know, I don't know how to make sense of this. I mean, this is just a mystery, but like in some way, united to Jesus, the devil is under your feet too. Because you're seated with Jesus in the heavenly places, high above all rulers and powers principalities, authorities. Um, and so maybe you're in the throes of the battle this morning and you feel it, you feel it. For all the times you've believed the lie, um, here, is, here is Jesus in all of his grace and goodness for you. For all the times you've given into temptation, here he is for you. For all the times uh, you have failed to fight, here he is for you. Rhonda, for all the times you failed to fight, here he is for you. Um, for, for all of the times that you've just uh, compromised with evil, you've been complicit with it, here is Jesus and all of his grace and goodness for you. Um, for all of the times that you have actively pursued evil, even then, family, here is Jesus and all of his grace and goodness for you. You know, Jesus, when he went out to fight the devil in the desert, he did it on an empty stomach. We get to go into the fight um, nourished by the life of Jesus in us. And so let's pray. And then let's come to the table.